as we begin to celebrate Jesus as our risen Savior today, so often we get caught up on the different aspects of who Christ is. God says, I am the one who was, who is, and who is to come. And that's a theme we're going to see over and over again today as we look throughout Scripture. Now, this is a sermon that is, we're going to try to run through pretty hard, pretty fast, because my mom got a honey-baked ham, and I am ready for some of that this afternoon. <laughs> and some of you have been here since 5 in the morning preparing, cooking biscuits and gravy and everything else for us for breakfast, and we had about 120 people here for sunrise service. I'm just so grateful for each and every one of you, and above all that, I'm grateful for Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we're going to try to honor him today through his word by looking at exactly who he says he is, who he was, and who he is to come. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him not one thing was created that has been created. You know, anytime we get together and we celebrate Jesus, we think about who he was. These past few weeks we've been starting through Mark, we've been looking at who he was as a man. Earlier at the beginning of this year, as we were going through select passages, we saw who Jesus Christ was as a boy, running away from his parents, sitting in the temple, teaching the word to those who were there. And then we see, even as a babe, we celebrate as the, the wise men come around him, acknowledge him, even in his infant state, even as this newborn, and this, as this toddler, this two-year-old, he is the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. The angels have declared it. God declared it. When Christ came to be baptized, he said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And over and over again, we think about who Christ was, but we don't always consider who he is now. We read through the New Testament. We look in the Gospels, and we see what he has done, what he has said, all of it leading up to what we celebrate today that he lived this perfect life, born of a Virgin Mary, walked along this earth without sin, both fully man and fully God. He healed people. He raised the dead to life. He taught and he preached because he said, this is why I have come. And what he did was he revealed the truth about who he is. And that's what we're going to see very shortly in Revelation. Because that's what Revelation is. Revelation, the word for that is apocalypse. Now, in our culture and in many cultures, we've come to take this word, uh, this word as the end of times. And so when we begin to look at the book of Revelation, we see, oh, well, this is the end. Well, it is the end of this book. But in so many ways, this is truly the beginning. What apocalypse actually means, what, what it means biblically, it is a revealing or an unveiling. And it's what it's going to do today for us is reveal to us exactly who Jesus is right now. It's going to unveil to us who he is and who is to come. And that is the God we're going to look at and worship today. So before we do that, let us open in prayer. Father God, on any Sunday, there's nothing I can say. That is adequate enough to express how good and how pure and how holy you are. And God, on any single Sunday, there's no words to express, no way that I can put forward or promote the idea of what you have done for us. God, you have justified us through the blood of your Son. You made the sacrifice 
And he lived a life and none of us could live so that we could know you. So that what was destroyed in the garden, our ability to be in your presence, has now been restored. God, when Christ died, the veil was torn, and we then again have the ability to have access to you, to be close to you, and God, now as the Spirit dwells within us, I just pray that it would move in us today, that you would soften our hearts and minds, that you would reveal yourself through your Spirit to us, just as you did to John in Revelation. God, just let us see you in all of your power, all of your majesty, and all of your glory. God, let us just see the Son and be changed by him. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So who is Christ for us now? Who is he that has come, that has died for us? How does he rule and reign now? What does he look like? We begin to see some evidences of that throughout the New Testament. In Colossians, it talks about how he, um, in verse 20, he came and through him to reconcile everything to himself whether things on earth or the things in heaven, he made peace through his blood shed on the cross. He holds all things together, verse 17. We see in verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church. That is us. That is all who have ever put their faith in Christ. He is now our head. He guides us. He rules over us, each and everything that is on this earth. And then if we back up even more, it says, verse 16, he is, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So just as John spoke, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God, and all things that were created were created by him. This is Christ we see. Christ is the word of God, and he has revealed himself to us, and now, through that revealing, we have been pieced together and given the word of God so that we may know him more. And we're going to see even further examples of that in Revelation when we get there. But if we go to Hebrews and we look at what the author puts there, he says this in chapter 2, verse 14. He said, now since the children, meaning us, we have flesh and blood in common with Jesus. Jesus also shared in these so that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who are held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. For it is clear that he does not reach out to help the angels, but to help Abraham's offspring, meaning all of mankind. He is reaching out to help us. He has defeated the one who held the power of death. He has defeated the devil. And in doing so, he has freed us from the slavery and the fear of death that we could experience all of our lives if we do not know who Jesus is. And so we see in verse 17, therefore, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way. Christ came and he lived a life just like, uh, lived a life just like we lived. He breathed, he slept, he ate, and yet he was without sin so that he could become what he is right now. And that's what we see in the text, who Christ is now. He is ruling and reigning over the body, over the church. He is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. But right now, even as he is in those things, even though he sits in that place of authority and of power, he is a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God. And he makes atonement for the sins of the people. For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, 
Now, now he is able to help those who are tempted. So Christ did not come, did not live, did not die, did not live again in order to just leave us in our state to say, this is what I have done. My work is finished. Now you just need to fall into this. No, even now, God does not leave us where we are. He does not leave us in this place of struggle. He does not leave us in this place of sin and sanctification, of being both a sinner and both being a saint at the same time. What he does is continuously interceding for us on our behalf before God. And when he does that, he is a merciful and faithful high priest. He shows us mercy and he does not condemn us nor forsake us. He is faithful to us in these matters pertaining to God. And he continues to atone for the sins of his people. Because he was tempted just as we are now tempted. And therefore he is able to help us now in our continuing temptation. Verse 14 in chapter 4 says, Therefore since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach his throne. And how do we do approach his throne? If we look at the text, we are to approach his throne with boldness. And that throne is a throne of grace. So we are to approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because Christ in his perfection does not sit on high and look down upon us as broken, sinful people. He does not say, I hope they don't come to me. No, his heart yearns for us to boldly approach him. And as he sits on this throne of grace, he is there and he is willing to receive any of us who would come to him. It does not matter what you have done on this life. Nothing is greater than what Christ has already done to redeem your life. You have been saved by the power of God from the wrath of God. There's no equality. It is only, it is, it, it is something that is only able to be done by Christ himself. He was the perfect sacrifice. He was the perfect payment. And let us just get to the main point I want to make in Revelation as we read through who he is now on top of all of this, on top of the one who rules and reigns. So often we just see him as either this powerful, authoritative figure who is a thousand miles away, who is so far above us in the heavens, or we see him as that innocent little babe. Ricky Bobby said that, nine pound, eight ounce, sweet little baby Jesus. Right? Or we see him as this just meek man who's letting these guards and these unrighteous men just put him to death, lash him, beat him, mock him, curse him, and put him on the cross. We see him in his meekness. But it was not a weakness. And sometimes we get so focused on remembering Christ for who he was, that little baby, that little boy, that man even, healing and loving. We forget about who he is right now. A couple of things about Revelation. It is a vision that has been given to the Apostle John. He came into a place of the Spirit. And we're going to see in different portions of this. As he is worshiping on a Sunday, God sends an angel... And Jesus Christ himself speaks and reveals himself through that angel to John. Now, this was a thing that John recorded. He wrote it down seven times. He sent it to these seven churches. It was for them. 
but it expands past that to us even today. There's a lot of imagery, some of which I'll explain, but there may be a lot of questions you may have that I'm not gonna answer today because we got stuff to do. But this is where we are at, Revelation chapter one, verse one, and I'm gonna bebop through this and I pray that you could just keep up with me, circle things, underline it, whatever you have to do, but here we go. So we see the revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, whatever he saw. So he just told these people and he wrote down faithfully whatever he saw by God. And it says this, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it because the time is near. And this was 2,000 years ago and yet at the same time, so much is being revealed and so many things are accumulating. We are not in a God created time, entered into time itself as he works among us, works with us. But you need to understand when it says that time is near, the time is near. We are not leading up to something. We are running parallel with what could occur at any moment. And any time the language in this speaks about the urgency or the immediacy of the things that are going to happen, it is speaking about those things because when it begins, it will go quickly. This will not take long once it gets started. And so we see here John, verse 4, John to the seven churches in Asia, grace and peace to you. Common greeting. Not so common because of who it is from. Grace and peace to you is how Paul would write, uh, how he would open a majority of his letters, how some of the other authors would open a majority of their letters. It was a common greeting. But this greeting comes from someone different. It says, grace and peace to you from the one who is, who was, and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn. Before I go on, we have to recognize this is a greeting, grace and peace from every single Godhead, from every single person of the Trinity. It is from God himself, the Father, the one who is, who was, and who is to come. It is from the seven spirits before his throne. Speaking about the Holy Spirit. Now again, this is a book written about imagery, and you're going to see this number seven come up over and over again, just in this first chapter. And you need to understand two different things, especially here with the Spirit. And I know I'm talking fast, I'm preaching fast, but just hold on. The seven spirits here could be related to what was written of in Isaiah chapter 11, of the seven different aspects or influences or effects that occur when the Holy Spirit is near. That could be what it's written about, or it could just be denoting the perfection. The perfection, that's what that number seven means. It is a perfection. So from the perfected, perfect, whole, complete spirit, Holy Spirit of God before his throne. And then lastly, verse five, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of earth. And this is where we begin to see exactly who Christ is right now. He is the faithful witness. He is the ruler, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of earth. And it goes on to express even more about who he is to him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood. There is no other but Jesus who has done this. And he has made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. 
To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I can be some different looks at this, either a kingdom of priests or kings and priests, but this language is hard and it is old, and we just see here that he has done these things, though. By the power of his blood, he has set us free, and he has made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And it says, look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, because all will be resurrected from the dead, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. This will happen. This has occurred. He was, he is, he is to come. And if God says this in verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. In the beginning of the beginning, in his eternal existence, God was there. Christ was there. The Holy Spirit was there. He existed in completion since the breaking the, in the fabric of time itself. God existed. And then in the end of it all, when we go past Revelation chapter 21, that is where Christ will still be. That is where God will still be. He is both the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. There is no limit to him. Verse 9 says, I, John, your brother and partner, in the affliction, the kingdom, and the endurance that are in Jesus. He was on an island called Patmos. He'd been sitting there as an imprisonment. It was a penal colony. And because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard a loud voice behind me like a trumpet saying, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, those in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. A couple of things I don't want to run past. I, John, your partner, your brother, in what? Yes, in Jesus. What do we find in Jesus? We find affliction that we share. We suffer for the sake of the one who suffered for us. We find his kingdom that he has created for us by his power, by his blood. And we find the endurance that he has given each and every one of us to continue on in this race until we stand before him. That is each and every one of us. And so he was in the spirit on the Lord's day and he heard this voice like a trumpet and he saw these things and this is where we come to verse 12. He says, then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands and among the lampstands was one like the son of man. He was dressed in a robe with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. The hair of his head was white as wool, white as snow, and his eyes like a fiery flame. His feet were like fine bronze as it is fired in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of cascading waters. He had seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp double-edged sword came out of his mouth, and his face was shining like the sun at full strength. That is who Christ, our Lord and our Savior, is right now. This is how he exists currently. This is who he is and who he is for us and on our behalf. So we need to break down a couple of these things. First of all, don't get distracted by the seven gold lampstands or the seven stars that were in his right hand. It says at the end in verse um, 20, the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands is this. 
The seven stars are the angels that he's sending to these seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches themselves. Why are these seven churches described as lampstands? It's because they are the light in a dark world. And that is the same for us today. As a church of Jesus Christ, we are to be his light in a world that is dark and decaying and leading to death. So he looked upon these things and there he saw the Son of Man dressed in a robe with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. That was because just as we saw John the Baptist describe, that was the priest's garb. That is what they wore. And Christ wears it in all honor, with all authority, as our good and high priest, as we read about in Hebrews. So our good and high priest stands there dressed in a robe with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. And the hair on his head was white as wool, just describing, reaching, speaking to the point of his purity, white as snow. And his eyes were like a fiery flame. You get into the imagery of this, you begin to see that his these eyes like fiery flame. This is how God the Father is described earlier in the, earlier in the Old Testament. Again, you see Christ's deity announced and supported, but also that these are piercing. That just as Christ was on this earth and he could see into the hearts of those around him, he could hear their minds and understand their spirits yet again. Now, God, Christ, sees everything that is within you. There is nothing that you can hide. There is nothing that you can cover or put a veil over that Christ himself does not see or know about you. You forget that you were created through him and you were created for him. And he knows all about you. His feet were like a fine bronze as it is fired in a furnace and his voice like the sound of cascading waters. So often we think about Jesus Christ. We think of this meek man who's calling these children unto him. We think about him being humbled before others about what he has done. And yet we see the imagery here like fire, fine bronze talking about the judgment that is to come and it discusses it later. And we see the power in his voice because it's the voice that brought the truth of God to man. And he had the seven stars in his right hand. I already described those. And he had a sharp double-edged sword that came out of his mouth. That is the word of God, of God. And we're going to see that sword again later on. But it is a sharp double-edged sword that came out of his mouth. That is because the truth that Christ brought and the truth that comes out of his mouth, yes, it is the word of God. And it can both bring you life, but it can also put you to death. This is the double-edge that comes with it. It is something that can cut deep, and when you are cut by it, you must choose one or the other. It will either bring you to a point of death, or it will bring you to a point of life. And his face was shining like the sun at full strength as his glory was on display, just as it was up on the mountain as in his transformation, transfiguration. And John says this, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He laid his right hand on me and he said, just as Tom was talking about this morning during sunrise service, can you just imagine being in this room? Can you imagine sitting out there? And that's what brought me to tears this morning and just thinking about, and just as the apostles, just as they were gathered together after Christ, after Christ had been put to death, and Christ just appears amongst them. Just as he just comes into the room and his presence is there and he's laying hands on people and he is eating and they are touching him and they see his wounds and they feel him. That is the same presence that we're going to experience one of these days. 
And we are going to stand before him and we are going to see him face to face and be able to look into his eyes. And I just pray that just as I was thinking about sitting out there this morning, when Christ is before me, am I going to be even able to look at him or am I going to cower in shame? But he said the same thing to the apostles when he appeared. He said, peace. And he says the same thing here to John. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. He said, I was dead. But look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Therefore, write what you have seen, what is, and what will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars. And he goes on to explain. And we just see this is who our God is. This is who my Lord and my Savior is. He is not a meek man who's being beaten to death. He is not a broken and bloody man whose face you cannot even recognize hanging upon that cross. No, my God has risen from the grave and now he stands in heaven with all power and all authority. And the good news is, is that he is yet to come again. So we've looked at who he was we recognize now a better, more clear picture of who he is. And now we have to understand who he will be when he comes again. We begin to get more glimpses of this in Revelation. Flip over to chapter 5. I cannot go past this point because it is something each and every one of us is going to recognize that one day. I wanted to go through chapter 4 too, but we just don't simply have the time. What I want you to recognize is that as John, through the power of the Spirit, is pulled into the throne room of heaven, he recognizes and sees God for who he is. He sees all these miraculous things standing around him, these living creatures that look like an ox and a flying eagle and all these things. And it says that day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, 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 Lord God the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. And I hope that you remember that because one day we're going to see when we stand in the presence of God, we're going to be saying, Holy, 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 Lord God the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. So it says, whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne and they say this, Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things and by your will they exist and were created. That is who God is. And then we see what he does after that. It says, Chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll with the writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even look at it. I wept. And wept. This is John. I wept and I wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even look in it. Then one of the elders said to me, Don't weep. Don't weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered 
so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw like a uh, then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. And he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne, out of the hand of God. Verse 8, and when he took the scroll... The four living creatures and the 24 elders, they fell down, now not before the one on the throne, but before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. And it goes like this. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on earth. And then John says, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and also the living creatures of the elders and their number was countless, thousands, plus thousands of thousands. And they said with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and everything in them, everything in them say blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and they worshiped. This is who Christ is and was and who he is to come. And if we go even farther, if we go to the back of the book and we go to Revelation chapter 19, we begin to see how this is all going to play out, what this is going to look like. Verse 11, chapter 19, then I saw heaven open. This is after the coming of the feast. This is after battle. And this is after all the events that don't ask me a question about bringing some specialist to answer them. But this is where we see Christ. Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse, and its rider is called Faithful and True, and he judges and he makes war with justice. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head, and he had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God, just as it was in the beginning. And we see the armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses, wearing pure white linen, and he had a sharp sword come from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. Again, this is the truth of God spoken out of the mouth of Christ. What divides the world, what breaks death and sin apart, and what restores man to life, eternal life, and restores him to God. It is the truth of Christ. And it says this, John said, He will rule them with an iron rod, and he will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, and Jesus Christ, across his robe and on his thigh, it says, King of kings and Lord of lords. 
And after this, we'll see the beast and its armies will be defeated. Satan will be bound. Satan, the saints will begin to reign with Christ. Any rebellion will be crushed. And there will be a white throne of judgment. And then there will be a new creation, a new heaven, a new earth. And then we will see this new life in existence where there is no longer, because of Christ's victory that has already been done and Christ's victory that is yet to come, there will be no more tears. Verse 4, chapter 21, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. God is going to come and dwell with his people yet again. It is very clear, just as we read in Revelation chapter 1, just in the very beginning. He has made this known. He has revealed this to all men. And that's why we see in verse 3, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it, because the time is near. If you believe Jesus Christ was who he was, that he was this eternal God who existed for us, that he came as a babe, as he humbled himself, that he took on the form of a servant in his humanity, and that even though the fullness of God dwelt within him, he served us and he served the Father by, by humbly and willingly humiliating himself and putting himself to death on the cross. Who he is now as our high priest with his fire in his eyes, with all of his glory, his face shining like the sun, garbed as our high priest. This is who he is. And he holds all the churches in his hands. So we look at who he is and who he will be as he comes back to put all of the death, all of the anxiety, everything that we are suffering and struggling through now to rest as he fully restores all of creation unto himself. We look at all that. If you understand all that, if you believe all that, how are you going to respond with your life? Does this change you? Does this challenge you? It's really three ways. Three ways I want to bring up about things that we've already been looking at over the past couple weeks. Last week we saw as Christ was on this earth, he healed the man who had the shriveled hand right in front of all the Pharisees, right in front of these crowds of people in the synagogue. They saw him perform a miracle and have this man's hand restored. Even in a different gospel, in John we see him raise Lazarus from the dead right before everybody's eyes after several days in the tomb. There was no stink of death on him. And yet the Pharisees saw these things and in the hardness of their hearts, they chose not to follow God, not to admit to what they've seen, this truth that has been presented to them through supernatural power, through an authority that can only come from God. They saw these things with their own eyes. And yet they chose to oppose and deny him. Will you be like the Pharisees? who, when you were witnessing when you are a witness to all this, when you've seen so much of God here on this earth, in the lives of those around you, and in the ways and wonders and mysteries that he works, will you oppose him with your life? Will you be that hard of heart? Or will you be like Peter? Peter, who was the first apostle, we'll get to it in Mark, 
Peter was the first one to say, you are Lord. You are Christ. You are the Son of God. The first one to acknowledge and recognize him for who he is. We see that Peter believes. But will you be like Peter who recognizes and sees the truth? And then when you are challenged by the things of this world, you will deny him over and over and over again. Will you know who Christ is and yet deny him before others? If that's who you've been or if that's who you are now, what I want you to recognize is that when Christ came back to this earth, after he rose from the grave, he sought out Peter and he restored his servant. Maybe that's your story. Maybe that's been your story. Will you be heart of heart? Will you deny him like Peter? Or will you be like Saul, who when he met Christ on the road to Damascus, he was blinded. He was obliterated by the truth that was put before him. I mean, it changed his whole life. It changed his whole existence. Saul became Paul. He laid down everything of himself, his heritage, his citizenship, his education, his status, everything. Paul put those things down when he came to recognize the truth about who Jesus Christ was. He was literally blinded to everything else. And then he spent the rest of his life seeking to see the face of God again, doing what God would have him do, faithfully and obediently putting the things in his life to death so that he may truly live as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Who will you be as you face who our God is, who he was, and who is to come? Terry, if you come up. I challenge you to respond with your life, and if that needs to happen right now, if you want to come to this altar, if you want to give your life over to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've recognized him through the power of his word, not through my preaching, not through anything that I've done, but simply through the words that God has revealed himself to us through, if you want to change your life, if you want to change your eternity today, please come forward. If you need to be prayed over, if you need to be witnessed to, maybe you've been opposing Christ, maybe you've been denying him, please come forward. Let us stand now and worship and pray together.